I'm Diane Hullett, and welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. I'm here today with George Frankel, and George is the CEO of Eternal Reefs. He's going to tell us what that is, how they got started, what they do, everything you need to know. So welcome, George. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us, Diane. Yeah, I'm excited because... Um, I just, you know, I've, I've kind of done a whole series of like, what can we do with our bodies after we die? What are people doing now with remains? And when Eternal Reefs came across my radar, I just, I just thought it was really intriguing. So well, um, tell us what you do. We, um, we work with individual families and work with them and create artificial reef systems called reef balls. These are placed in, on permitted locations in different states on different project sites um, to create new habitat for fish and other sea life. That's the simple. That's the simple version. Yeah, yeah. And, and a reef ball, we're going to get into this as we talk, but just describe a reef ball for us for people who are listening. How do they envision what that means? If you can envision a wiffle ball that has been cut in half, it's round, it's hollow, and it's vented. And that's the design of a reef ball. The reef ball design is absolutely brilliant. And it is in fact, the uh, gold standard uh, for international reef building. It's used in more than 70 countries. And the reason why is because it was designed with two primary questions in mind. First off, would it be stable in the marine environment? Because if, it, if, right. if storms can move it, they're more dangerous than they are in fact uh, positive. So the round design, plus it's hollow in the inside and it's vented, 80% of the weight is in the lower 40% of the reef ball itself. So I will tell you that it's extremely stable in the marine environment, but I'll hedge my bets just a little bit and tell you that I also know Mother Nature can do whatever she wants. My sense is if she moves some of these reef balls around, you probably have much bigger problems on land to deal with than you do <laughs> in the ocean. They really are stable. They do what they're supposed to do and they stay where they're supposed to stay. And the second question that they had to answer was, is this actually gonna be something that mother nature wants to work with? And so they came up with a very close to neutral pH content concrete which is a marine grade concrete that's used to make these reef balls, which means that as soon as they're placed in the water, we refer to the ocean as a nutrient rich desert. There are gazillions of these little microorganisms floating around looking for some place to land and propagate and develop. So we texture the outer surface of the reef balls. And when we put them in the water, because they're close to pH neutral, mother nature can go right to work with them. And all of these microorganisms have got places to burrow in and start to mature and propagate before predators can feed on them. As a result, in certain water conditions, we will see physical growth on these reefs in as little as six weeks. Wow, so, just things attach and start growing. When you say yeah. a wiffle ball cut in half, is it like, you know, like a half a grapefruit, right? That side up or is it flat side down? Flat side down. So flat side down, bunch of weight in the bottom and then little holes for habitat. Exactly. Exactly right. And what we've really kind of found is that the involvement, the personal involvement is really a critical part of what we offer. 
we encourage families to come and actually help to make part of their loved one's memorial wreath. And in most cases, they come. Uh, they get the opportunity to mix the cremated remains into concrete. We create what we call a pearl. It's a um, small but heavy piece of concrete where the cremated remains are actually mixed in. We then put fresh concrete on the top of the reef ball. And this is where they get to personalize the reef. And so what they'll do is they'll put handprints in there. They'll bring non-invasive uh, mementos, maybe coins that their loved one traveled to, uh, military or honor medals that they may have received, certain things that represent their life. And frequently, when you can look at the top of the reef, you could tell what that person was all about in life very frequently. Wow. But what that does, what I learned, uh, I had to deal with several of my family members, uh, funeral arrangements and memorial arrangements. And they were all, with the exception of my brother, very traditional. And what I found was I felt useless. I got the opportunity to go into the funeral home. I made a handful of decisions. I wrote a check. And then I was just another third party in the back of the room as the funeral director handled everything from that point going forward. And it was really just um, a disquieting. I don't know right the, the right word to describe it, but it was disquieting to me. And so when I started to hear about this opportunity, what, what happened was reef balls were developed by a group of divers from the University of Georgia who were diving on the same reef sites on a regular basis and could see the degradation of the reefs from one time to another. And they decided one night that they were going to try to come up with a solution to this problem. And that was the genesis of the reef ball. Interesting. So it really was, it really was how do we support reefs in, in coming back and regenerating? How can humans kind of contribute a structure that the reef can then get involved with? It wasn't, it wasn't about funerals when it started. It was not it was about, nice. And that's, and that's where we made the conscious decision that as even as a memorialization organization, we were going to identify ourselves with the reef building industry much more than we were with the funeral and memorialization side. And what that did was in the reef building community, it gave us instant credibility. Uh, reef ball had been around for about 10 years at that point in time. It had an outstanding uh, global reputation. And what we offered was the opportunity, what we refer to as we're building public reefs with private money. So from a regulatory standpoint, we're a, a very positive part of the process because they get to chalk up, we did a good thing for our community and it didn't cost the taxpayers anything. Right, because I was thinking who was buying reef balls? I mean, like a coastal town might say we need 50 reef balls and but, but in this way, there's this whole other aspect to the reef. Exactly right. Exactly right. And in most cases, as you were just saying, these are government contracts one way or another, whether they're a local government or a, a national government. And so there are always going to be taxpayer funds involved. In the case of eternal reefs, it really is an environmental contribution that is of benefit. And it's not just the economic benefits, although those are significant. Um, memorial reefs create a opportunity for additional ecotourism. Uh, these families that participate come back. They may not come back every year, but from time to time, they're going to come back and they're going to visit. One of the um, 
issues or one of the um, positives that we end up providing is we are increasing habitat for marine life. We are also building a new reef. So just for the discussion's sake, let's say there are, there's one reef and it's got 100,000 fish on it. Well, that's where everybody goes to fish. There's one reef. So we build another reef a distance away. And argument's sake, half of the fish move over. Well, now the fishermen have to decide which one they're going to go to. We've done nothing to increase the number of fishing trips that are going out to these reefs, but we have spread out the, uh, the, um, the fish population. The impact, and now, yeah, the impact is bigger. Exactly Strong. right. So the fish spread. have a better chance of reaching maturity and propagating themselves. So the entire process is a positive process. Um, when we first started, we really thought that the funeral industry was going to adopt us as a long lost rich uncle because we were offering a great deal of uh, compensation um, and they were watching cremation rates start to skyrocket. What I learned very quickly and what was very valid was if I was George Frankel walking into some funeral director's office saying, I got this great new idea for you. We're going to use your loved one's cremated remains to make artificial reefs. They never heard of me. They never heard of this concept. They don't know what an artificial reef is. And if I was in their shoes, there's no way I'm turning my people over to this guy. So we had to make some real changes in our approach. And I think that's true in most entrepreneurial efforts. And we made the decision that we would go directly to the consumer. And again, that turned out to be a very, very positive move on our side. So when we moved from, we had spent a ton of money going after the funeral industry and we we're resource short now, but we started advertising on Facebook and we had worked with a number of families. And what we found right up front was that the families that came to us initially were all saying, if dad had known about this, he'd have been all over. He would have loved dad, it. dad told us to scatter the ashes, but this is even perfect for him. So they became our spokespeople. And people talk about the, uh, the power of, uh, of uh, personal you know, endorsement. Yeah. It skyrocketed for us. And literally, Facebook saved eternal reefs across the board. Well, we George, how, George, so, 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 um, so the reef balls existed, like scientifically. And then was it you? Like, how did you or a handful of people say, hey, I have this great idea of we could add cremated remains to the reef balls? Like, how did that idea get born? The, um, one of the people, Don Brawley, was one of the divers from the University of Georgia who helped to develop the reef ball technology. Don was working with me in a different business. And I had actually known Don since high school. So I had vaguely known that when he was in college, he had done this reef ball kind of thing, but I had never you know, questioned it. I did know that his, in conversation, his father-in-law had told him that when his time came, he wanted to be put in one of those reefs. He said, I'd much rather be out in the ocean with all that fish and excitement than in a field with a bunch of old dead people. His father-in-law passed away. Don came in and said, you know, I need time off to do this. At that time, I was dealing, my mother's life was winding down. She was going to be the last person in our family cemetery plot in New York. My brother had just been diagnosed as terminal. 
So we really needed to kind of come together and figure out, you know, what he said. The instant he said that he was going to put PD's remains into a reef, it made all the sense in the world to me personally. And I knew it would ring the same way with my brother. Of course, I said, Don, you can have the time off. When you come back, let's sit down and really talk about this, you know, and see if there's a, something viable here. And again, the timing, in our opinion, was virtually ideal because the cremation rates were moving so quickly. Yeah. A very interesting side story. And that is years ago, I used to be a raft guide on the Chattooga River, South Carolina. And a couple of years after I had been a raft guide, another person by the name of Billy Campbell became a raft guide there. Billy lived very close. He was a local person. He became the local doctor, uh, medical doctor. And so I we had the same circle of friends. We knew who each other was, but we had never met. And so I was at the outpost one night and I was talking about what I was getting involved in. And one of the trip leaders turned to me and she said, you really need to call Billy and Kimberly. They're doing something similar on, uh, on natural burial. Well, I call Billy, we get together. I find out that he is starting Memorial Ecosystems, which is the first natural burial ground in the United States. At the same time, we were starting Eternal Reefs. So we recognized right away that we really represented the surf and turf of the natural burial movement. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And we both recognized right up front. Well, we didn't. We didn't. We learned right up front that we were more of a uh, looked at as an enemy to the funeral industry than anything else. So our mutual problem was awareness. Yes. And that really remained our problem. We transitioned from a for-profit company to a nonprofit in 2016. And that changed a number of things for us as well. But the real change occurred with the pandemic. And what happened there to me is just, it, it's fascinating, it's in own right, because there is nobody on this planet who did not look in the mirror and see their own mortality. I don't care what they believed in, I don't That's care right. what they decided to do or not to do. Everybody had to recognize that there's a time limit. This could be me. This could be me right now. Yeah. And as a result, for the very first time, we really started seeing people talking within their family structure about what they wanted for themselves, for their family. Nobody had any, uh, in, in the United States, that had always kind of been a pretty much taboo topic. Right. Right. All of a Not sudden, a lot of discussion. All of a sudden, everyone's was, saying, oh, my gosh, this could happen. What do I want to have happen? And what are the options out there? Correct. You Google what are the options and Eternal Reef pops up. Well, that, that's fine. Um, we periodically we publish uh, two things on our Facebook page. One is called the Five Wishes, which is a document that is recognized in a number of states as legally binding. And this is something that you fill out. And one of my personal issues, because I dealt with it with my mother, and that is people need to talk about what they want done when they're still alive, but they can't advocate for themselves. You can't speak. Somebody is going to be making decisions for you. Yep. And you really need to have these things discussed, documented, and people need to know who and where these documents are. The second, docu the second uh, piece that we publish a lot is called the Conversation Project. 
Yeah, this is excellent. This is a project, I think, based in Boston, and it's designed to help people and families get this discussion rolling. What we have seen is a huge increase in our advanced planning or advanced donation program. Yes. Where for the first time, people are recognizing that this is um, decisions that need to be made while you're alive. Right, and that this doesn't have to be something either to put off or to be afraid of. It can be just a direct, positive conversation where everyone feels some relief that they actually know what mom wanted. And when exactly. mom said, scatter my ashes and off you know, the coast of the Carolinas, there's now a different option than just scattering. Correct. And you're seeing so many other things uh, transition. But again, one of the big differences that the turtle reef concept has, one is there are a lot of things that you can do with cremated remains. We tell people we can use all, some, or none of the cremated remains. We've actually made memorials without cremated remains in it. Um, so that's one of the options. The other part that we're seeing now, we're not seeing now, this is really from the very beginning. And that is the word of mouth process for us. When people go home, they don't talk about, you know, we just went to Florida and buried grandma. What they start with is, you wouldn't believe what we just did in Florida. Yes. And they go home with this incredible sense of personal satisfaction, participation, and a real sense of contribution. And as a result, these people are now vested in the marine environment at a level they never anticipated before. This, if they hear of a oil tanker dumping oil, this could have been where mom is, even if it's a subconscious level. Right. These people are now vested in the marine environment. And that can't be a bad thing for my personal opinion. Uh, and then you're seeing some real advances just in the concept of body um, uh, disposition. Body yeah. Final disposition. Yeah. Uh, Certainly, you know, cremation is, is skyrocketing right now. And again, one of the advantages of something like cremation is that it allows the family to catch its breath. You don't have to get into a Chinese fire drill, pulling kids out of school, breaking appointments, trying to find flight reservations. We no longer live in 50 miles of each other. Right, where that's and possible so and easy. Mm -hmm. the, the process with cremation is, you know, the phone rings and we lost mom today, but we're going to get together over Thanksgiving and we'll decide what we want to have done for a memorial. Right. And right. again, it really is, uh, it's a much easier path. Um, and again, it gives everybody the opportunity to have a voice. Um, I find the whole process from our standpoint, unbelievably personally re rewarding. Hmm. The other thing that I find is every one of our subcontractors wants to be a part of this. And so they go out. It's not just a paycheck. They go out of their way to try to accommodate whatever it is that we need. And from a regulatory standpoint, most of these regulators have told me this is what they want when their time comes. Sure, so sure. We, are, we are simply a value add to the memorial process. Um, and we do like the fact that we're going directly to the consumer. Um, one of the things we always knew was we couldn't have the funeral industry sell because everything for our world changes. One of the big issues we have is because everything we do is permitted and permits expire, 
I cannot guarantee you that I can put mom and dad on the same reef site 20 years apart. And so there are some limitations that we work with that we recognize. And we try to be as clear with our families as we possibly can as to all of the pieces of our puzzle. We're in the middle of marine construction projects and all kinds of things, mother nature included, can make a big impact on what it is we're trying to accomplish. So say a little about that, George. So, so like in terms of, so, okay, my family decides we wanna do this for grandma. We, we come where, like what cities does this happen in? And then it, it is creating the reef ball the same timing as planting the reef ball, put, dropping the reef ball, or how, how does that work? And at what stages is the family involved? The family is involved, well, first off, with they design the plaque that they want on the reef. So that has to be done you know, two months in advance. But we run a casting and uh, we run, our program is four days. It starts on a Friday when the families come and bring their loved ones cremated remains. And that's when they get to create the pearl and they get to personalize the reef. Uh, the next day is what we call the family fun day. They can go and visit the community or whatever they choose to do that day. Our team comes back. We clean up the reefs. We make them presentable. On Sunday, the families come back and we have the viewing. And this is strictly family time. They do what they want. They take rubbings of the plaques. They take pictures. Uh, they, we give them children's sidewalk chalk and they can draw and write all over. Sometimes little kids will climb inside the reef and write on the inside of the reef. Uh, we take pictures. We also check with all of our families to find out if their loved one was a veteran. And if in fact they had gotten their military honors and if they hadn't, we ask if they would like them to be presented at the viewing. And we are very honored when we have the opportunity to arrange uh, those types of honors. And we have had some incredible experiences mm -hmm. with that. Just one quick one was uh, in New Jersey one year early on, we got to do a memorial that included five World War II combat veterans. And we had Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines now, at that time, Air Force was part of the Army, but now the Air Force covers their own losses. In addition to that, we had a merchant mariner, and merchant mariners are eligible for military honors if they served in a war zone during a conflict. And this particular um, um, merchant mariner, I was able to find documents about his World War II contribution. Hmm. Served on six different ships five of which were sunk by some form of enemy action. I do not know if he was on those ships when they were sunk, but he served on five ships that are now somewhere at the bottom of the ocean. We had traffic stopped for blocks around. It was, it was incredible. It was just an amazing experience for all of us. And again, we started to understand that I'm not a particularly sensitive guy. And I mean that in all honesty, uh, I will never go back to my family cemetery plot. I have no personal need. But you start to realize how important different aspects of memorialization are to people. For some people, it's very important that they be there when the cremation starts, just for an example. Um, what we find is that having the families involved is a unifying factor in its own right. Mm -hmm. Billy and Kimberly, and now most of the um, uh, natural burial sites allow the families the opportunity to dig the grave for themselves. 
one of the things that we hear from families all the time is that with the turtle reefs, this is the best way I possibly could have found to introduce my child to a loss. Mm. There's nobody in a room. There's nobody talking in whispers. There's no hole in the ground, which is probably the most terrifying part of a traditional burial. And they said, this is an arts and crafts project. And the kids helped to mix the remains. And yeah, I mean, we've got three-year-olds who are stirring concrete. Um, and it's important because these families now remind these kids that they were there for part of grandpa's process. Right. It's, I can see it being really a unifying project and that it's a whole weekend that they kind of spend. And then you started to say, so on Sunday, there can be this um, kind of memorial. And then is there an actual putting in the ocean? Yes. On Monday, the following day, we will take the reefs out on one boat and the families out on a second boat. And on the way out to the reef site, the families are given tribute reefs, small little model reef balls, and they're given tons of flowers. We get out to the reef site, the, fan, the placement boat is putting each of the reefs down individually all the way to the ocean floor, settling them there. And we announce each one as they're being lowered so that family can pay particular attention. How many families are typically on a boat? In that we place? usually have about 10 families involved in these projects. Wow. Fantastic. And we've got two family boats on the reef site. Um, so and, yeah. And tell us again where these go out of. What what towns are doing this? What cities? We do this uh, everywhere from Galveston, Texas, Pensacola, Florida, Sarasota, uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. We also work in uh, Myrtle Beach, North Myrtle Beach. We work on Topsail Island in North Carolina. Uh, and then we work up in New Jersey and Ocean City, New Jersey and Ocean City, Maryland. Wow. And we're getting ready to add uh, two additional states to uh, our portfolio. So we will be, uh, I mean, we're not prepared to announce it, but we will be having two more states as part keep, of the- uh, Keep an the eye on the website. Keep an eye on the website to see where. Absolutely. Well, George, thank you so much for this. It's so much information and I think it's so exciting. It's just a real reinvention of- um, kind of what's possible. And I love how you've, Eternal Reef, Reef has designed something that's really um, all-encompassing as an experience for people. Um, like I said, it's really just a very positive experience across the board. Yeah. And again, families leave feeling like they really accomplished something. So yeah, I have to ask for my Midwesterners, is there any um, plans to um, drop some reef balls for fish habitat in the Great Lakes? We've had a number of discussions. Um, it's an ongoing issue. Most of the Great Lakes do not have active artificial reef programs. Mm -hmm. And with the Thunder Bay just being designated as a national marine sanctuary, it's going to get some more dynamics going with regards to reef building. So I'm optimistic. I'm not going to tell you that it's going to happen in a year or two because yeah. regulators don't move at my speed. <laughs> but um, we do expect at some point in time that the Great Lakes will become some form of an option. Fantastic. I love that. Anything else you want us to know? I just really appreciate the opportunity to join you. And our website is eternalreefs.com. Our Facebook page is eternalreefs slash Facebook slash uh, dot Facebook slash eternalreefs. Fantastic. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks so much, George. I've been talking today with George Frankel of Eternal Reefs. As he said, you can find out more about him by Googling or 
putting in eternalreefs.com, I guess is the simple way to say that. And you can find out more about the work I do at bestlifebestdeath.com. Thanks again, George. Thank you, Diane. Take care. Be safe. You too.